This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is a good one. What's up, my sinners? Welcome back to another installment of Lead Singer Syndrome. As always, I am your host, Shane Told. So good to have you on this fine Tuesday morning in March. Oh, I love March. See, February, worst month. I have my birthday, which is great. By the way, thank you to everybody that sent me all those amazing birthday presents and and well wishes and everything. That was so nice of you guys. I finally got home from tour and I, I went to my P.O. box and I got all this stuff and it's like, it's like Christmas. It's, well, it's my birthday, but it's like Christmas for me. It was terrific. But I got to say, I looked at the calendar today. I'm like, oh, it's March 4th. This is perfect because this means we've got maybe another month of winter. And I know some of you are listening from California or Florida or, or Spain, maybe, or Australia, where it's always so nice. Well, the struggle is real here. The struggle is real here in Canada. But uh, I digress. Great episode today. Matt Good of From First to Last joins the show. What a guy. What a, what a, what a story. And the first thing I say to him is, what a roller coaster of a career. And truer words have not been spoken. So good to have him. Buckle up your seatbelt. This is a great, great ride. So many great stories and a lot of really great insight that we don't always get into on this podcast. Before we get into that, as always, you can get in touch with me. It's very easy. I have an email address, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. I check all my emails. Uh, if you have suggestions for the show, if you want to tell me I'm doing a great job, uh, really anything, you can hit me up on there. We're also on Facebook, and Facebook is kind of going through some changes right now on our end. We are putting up a bunch of stuff. We're doing Meme Mondays. We're doing Throwback Thursdays. We're doing all this cool stuff. So please, if you don't already like the page, please head over on Facebook and like the page. If you're not so happy with the show, we have the hate line. You can call me. You can leave me a message of extreme detest. Please do. It is 657-666-HATE, H-A-T-E. I do roll out clips from time to time. Again, the number 
H-A-T-E. And don't hold back. Let me have it. We do swear on this podcast, so feel free to swear at me over the phone if you really want to. Before we get into the show also, I got to remind you about our great sponsor, rockabilia.com. It's been such a great partnership with them and I guess people really are into this website because they want to continue to work with me and work with Lead Singer Syndrome and the Jabberjaw Network. So they're on and they're here to stay as a sponsor of the show and it's great because they're really a great company and a company that I can get behind. They have over 500,000 unique merch items. So you don't have to worry about having the same thing as everybody else that you know goes down to the mall and gets it at Hot Topic or whatever. And of course, all the stuff is officially licensed from the band. It's all legit. As I mentioned earlier, I got some, some gifts, which is very nice. Um, I got a couple awesome shirts. I got this Bad Religion shirt and I got this Minor Threat shirt. I can tell that the Minor Threat shirt, which was purchased on Amazon, I can tell it's not legit. I can tell just the way it's screened. It's a little small. It's a little crooked. Don't get me wrong. The shirt's great. And whoever bought it for me, that was very nice. It didn't have a note. But uh, I can tell that that is you know, not officially licensed and, and Ian Mackay and uh, company aren't getting any money from that. But that's not going to happen if you head over to rockabilia.com. And best of all, we have a promo code you can use. It is PCJowerJaw. And that will save you 15% off your entire order. So head over to rockabilia.com and use that promo code. Again, it's PC Jabberjaw. I'm sure you can spell that. 15% off your entire order today. As I mentioned, I'm back from tour and I'm in full podcast mode now. So I want to remind you guys about the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. We do so many cool things on there. For as little as $6 a month, you can really help me keep the show going, keep the show growing. And of course, you get access to bonus episodes, merchandise. Uh, We do contests on there. And we have an amazing community of 250 strong of just some of the best friends you'll ever meet. Uh, No, it's seriously, it really is a cool vibe on there. So again, check it out. LeadSingerSyndrome.com slash access. Six bucks gets you in, and it really does help us keep the lights on around here. Anyway, let's jump in to this week's episode, my conversation with Matt Good of From First to Last. It has been a long time. I know, right? I was trying to think of the last time I, I bumped into you. Um, crap, dude. I don't even know. I think it was when we were on tour together, maybe, or maybe one time after that, possibly, but I don't know for sure. I don't know. Well, we never did like a, an official tour together, except we did work tour, work, like a couple yeah. one-off dates. I remember I, we played a show with you guys like it was in Prague or something. Yeah, I think uh, that's what I'm thinking of actually. Yeah, and that was like kind of it was kind of crazy because I remember we'd we'd seen I have no idea what year that was, but we'd like hadn't seen each other in around in a, like around in a while, you know, and it was like, oh shit. And I remember I was having like a vocal issue that day of yeah, some kind yeah. and you you and like you and Travis were giving me like warm-ups to do. I I I remember it pretty vividly actually. 
Yeah, me too. That place was kind of weird. That whole <laughs> day was weird, actually. It was weird. Yeah, it's like this old, like, it, it, I don't know if anyone's listening to this has been to Prague before, but like, it's great because everything is so like old. It doesn't feel like anything's been modernized, really. You know what I mean? Like you're yeah. you're, you're going in this building and it's like this old, like cavernous, you know, like gothic looking kind of church, but like it's just a venue. And uh, no, it's it's it was cool though. It was cool. And yeah. uh, no, dude, it was a fun time. It was, dude. It's been um, it's been so long, and so much has happened with you. I mean, you talk about a roller coaster of a fucking career. Yeah. With yourself, <laughs> um, like let's talk about what's going on now. I know you're making records, like some very successful records for some very big bands out in Arizona. Yeah, uh, that's the latest, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Um. I moved here kind of like after uh, we all decided to move on from that band drugs that I was doing for a while. And yeah. uh, I was like pretty serious with a girl out here and it just kind of made sense to move here because I didn't really have anything else going on anyway. So, you know, it was just one of those things that organically happened and uh, it was cool. And now I'm married to that girl and we actually just had a baby four months ago. Uh, so dude, that's pretty congratulations. awesome. Thanks. Yeah, it's great. So now I'm a dad and that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I just, for some reason, I you know, I'm sure that you know, but it's like, you're like, okay, so what do I do when I don't play music 100% of the time? Like, that's right. my number one thing all the time. It's like a thought that I think everyone has, you know, like, so that became my reality. And I was like, oh crap, you know, I'd always like kind of contemplated this, but now I'm like here. So it's like, okay, what do I do? Right. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I started like meeting local musicians and stuff and uh, I started like helping people write songs and things of that nature. And then it just kind of slowly became what it is today, which is, you know, I started accumulating recording equipment and getting more into it and reading blogs and watching videos. And I was like, okay, I think I have a grasp over this. And then by that point, like word alive reached out to me and they're like, Hey man, like kind of want to do a record with you. And I was like, Oh damn, like that would be sick. Cause I mean, at that point I hadn't, done anything that was like of that nature you know like that level of relevance so they kind of took a risk with me and then we made dark matter and i did really well for them and then it just kind of everything just kind of went from there and now i'm here (laughs) yeah no it's it's kind of crazy and yeah i always think about that too i mean i think you know i've been doing silverstein a long time and and you know there's no sign of that stopping or anything but of course like you know i'm 37 now and there's always like the thought well this is not going to last forever you know, and, right. and it, yeah. it kind of ended any time. And then it's like, yeah, like, what the hell am I going to do? Um, and, and it seems like for you, it's worked out really well being in Arizona and, and you know, being able to have bands give you a chance as a producer, as a songwriter and stuff. But it's like always crazy with me because like, sure, I know how to like do basic recording. But if you mm-hmm. put me in a studio with a band, I wouldn't know what the hell I was doing. You know what yeah. I mean? So how did right. you how did you like in tandem with like working on your craft as a touring musician, a songwriter, making albums, like being a member of a band, a very prominent member of of a couple bands? How did you go into that to be like, okay, well, I like I'm gonna work on my chops and I'm gonna like know how to produce an album and you know know how to like compress a kick drum and make it sound better than you know like every other kick drum, you know things like that. Yeah. So like, you know, honestly with that stuff, like, like on the technical side of things, more like the audio stuff, like that was just intense amounts of hours of like reading online. 
like, all right, like if I'm going to do this, I need to commit to it. So, I mean, like in a sense, I put myself through college, you know, right. I literally just spent hours and hours and hours a day reading stuff online, reading people's opinions, trying different things, finding like what worked for me and what didn't. And then like, you know, over time you meet other people and then they tell you different things and you try those things. And it's just kind of like, inevitably there's no way of getting around it. It just takes a really long time because you need to do so much trial and error to see like what things gel with you, what things that, you know, you think are cool and work with your vibe and make you an individual. And there's just no escaping the amount of time that that actually takes. No, no, totally. But they also like, you know, something I'd like to point out is like you have a leg up on a lot of other people that it's just like, oh, like no matter how much time you put in, it's like you made a record with Ross Robinson. Right. You know what I mean? You made records with all these other producers that have not just put in the time, but have learned from the best and worked with some of the best artists, you know, in rock and roll ever. And Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's gotta be so much takeaway that you got from that. Oh yeah. I mean, that was the other thing I was going to say too, is like, I'm in a very unique position or, or like, I feel like I come from this perfect storm of like the old school and the new school where like, yeah, I have these experiences that I acquired through people like Ross Robinson stuff. Who's like the most old school you can get. He's like, all right, we're going to make this record. We're going to go in a practice room and we're going to practice the songs live for two weeks, 10 hours a day before we even walk into a room to record. It's like, okay, like no one does that anymore. <laughs> no. It's pretty sick. I mean, like in theory, it's like really badass, but you know, um, there's just a level of like confidence and being prepared and all kinds of things that come along with that. And, uh, a lot of people aren't even funded to be able to have the luxury and time to do that anymore, unfortunately. But, you know, sure. it's just a different way of things. But then also on the other side of the coin, it's like, you know, I'm very in tune with like what's going on right now and like modern record. I feel like there's a lot of advantages to it. And I just, I try to like let both sides of me come through and what I do, because I, I really like what I feel like represents me the most is like a perfect blend of those things. Like yeah. I love hearing a record and feeling like I'm listening to a band play. Like, I think that's so important and it's something that kind of gets lost in a lot of records these days. And I feel like it makes them easily disposable because there's no, like you're missing like this emotional, like connection to what you're hearing in some way. And I, I really feel like that is so undervalued these days. And it's funny because like, you know, you hear so many like songs that are still relevant and they're so old you know, it can't be a coincidence, right? No, it's a good point. And, and it's funny too, you know, you'll, you'll have bands go out on tour uh, and try to play these songs that they've, you know, you say like they didn't play them for two weeks in a room in a practice space. They basically came in with some scratch ideas on someone's computer and then they turned that into a song in the studio. And they've, a lot of times bands, when they play a song live for the first time, they haven't really ever actually played it together. Oh yeah, which which that is a lot of people the all the time. People don't understand yeah. that. Like regular people that aren't involved in in creative creating music don't understand that. But it's a it really is a thing, and I think there is you know so much so many times like bands will go out on tour and they'll say, oh well, we can't really pull this off without like backing tracks or without mm-hmm. all these other layers of sounds because they've put all this in the studio and that's like what's made the song the song when you hear it. Yeah, but what it gets lost is that the whole you're right just the emotion of this is this is rhythm like rhythm this is drums and bass this is you know chords and this is melody yeah. and it gets so lost in so much bullshit that that you end up losing 
the emotional value. Like you're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, it's just some, it's just something to be said about like when you close your eyes, like you can like almost like see the guy hitting the drum. Right. You can feel like this is hard to do. Like this guy's probably sweating right now. You know what I mean? Like I want it to sound like that. I love that. I love that visual, like, like a visualization when you, when you, um, when you mix drums, do you pan it? Uh, like you pan your hi-hat and your toms, do you pan it to like you're playing the drums or you're watching somebody on stage play drums? It's honestly all different. Like I prefer like looking at someone because I think that gives me more of what I was talking about. But mm-hmm. sometimes you have like really particular guys who are like, no, it needs to be like this. So I just try and be accommodating. You know what I mean? Right. I always like, I always like when it's like, like I'm playing drums. I don't know if that says something about yeah. my personality, but yeah, I like when I hear like the toms going around from like left right. to right. You know, I don't know it's for whatever reason. There's like, there's such like a, an argument about that, like from a psychological point of view. And it's funny because like, I'm like, yeah, I totally get that. But then I think like, if you don't play drums with that, like, would you even get that thought process? I don't know. There's like, I think it's so subjective. So it's kind of a funny thing. Yeah, no, it, it is. It is. I don't think that's something that gets talked about all that often. Uh, at yeah. least on these, con- <laughs> at least when two singers get in a room and talk. Um, well, dude, I, I want to go back and I want to talk about your whole thing. I mean, I mentioned before your roller coaster career. Uh, I know you're from Florida originally. Um, ended up, you know, in Los Angeles with with this with, from first to last. All these these just these crazy things that have happened to your band. Um, can we start from the beginning? Uh, like yeah, like sure. you grew up in Florida. What was your um, what was your home structure like? How did you get into music? So, uh, yeah, actually it started in Rhode Island. Funny enough, I actually, that's where I lived for the first like 12 years of my life. Rhode Island? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh Um, I moved to Florida until like sixth or seventh grade. Um, but so I was there and like my parents split up and it was like one of those typical stories, you know, (laughs) I, uh, my mom had to work a lot, so I was home alone a lot and I had like these crazy upstairs neighbors that were like total, like, um, God, what's that Adam Sandler movie where he's a devil? Little Nicky, you know those two guys? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are basically my upstairs neighbors, those those guys. So uh, I had those guys up there, and you know, I was like 11 or something, and they were like always letting me borrow records and stuff. And they, you know, they turned me on to like Led Zeppelin and Nirvana and Rage Against the Machine and Filter and like all these crazy <laughs> bands. And I was like listening to this crap in like fourth and fifth grade or whatever. And I was just like, yeah, I thought it was so cool. <laughs> and, uh, and it just got me super into guitar. And then I just became like obsessed with the idea of getting a guitar because I thought Kurt Cobain was like the coolest dude ever. And I don't know. And then I just like focused on it. And then we moved to Florida and a neighbor of mine was a guitar player and he was actually my age and, I ended up getting a guitar and we played together and, you know, I just did like high school local band stuff for a really long time. And like, you know, I was pretty, pretty hell bent on it from day one though, to be honest, it was like a, a very strong, like I'm doing this. I don't give a crap. And, uh, I always remember in high school, like, this is like something I tell people all the time. Like my guidance counselor, we did that thing where they have like, they bring you in and they're like, okay, so what do you want to do? Cause they're trying to help you decide you know, what college to go to or what to major in and all that stuff. And I was like, I want to be a musician. And she was like, okay, but what do you really want to (laughs) do? I was like, classic. It's so classic. I mean, the the amount of times I can say like, you know, that my girlfriend tells, you know, uh, somebody like, oh yeah, he's in a band. Oh, okay. So what does he do for, for work? 
Right. Like, no, no, no. Exactly. He's in a band. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Like, no, like it's a real band. You know, it's still right. so funny, even like at you know in my late thirties. But um, but yeah, continue. Okay, so um, yeah, so I feel like that stuff could be kind of like depressing or like put some people down. But honestly, for me, it kind of like fueled the fire even more because I'm like, oh, so you're saying I can't do it? It's like, okay, well, fuck you, dude. I will do what I want to do. You know, like I was just like a little kid and I didn't give a shit. You know, like really didn't care. So um, I had like this crazy falling out with my parents because of something. Like I think my friend was staying over or something, and they were mad. And my mom's boyfriend at the time was just kind of a jerk, and he hated me anyway. So. He was like, you need to get out. And I was like, fine. So at this point, I was friends with Travis, who's the guitar player in First Slash. And he was like, dude, just come live with me in Orlando. At the time, I was in Tampa. And he's like, we're going to make a band, and we're going to kill it. And he was like, just as motivated as I was. And how old were you at this point? 18. Okay. So I was like, screw it. So I, I went to Orlando, and I lived with Travis. And we ended up finding other people, Derek, um, on like some kind of early like bastardized version of uh, like MySpace, like some kind of weird, like seeing kids only MySpace kind of thing. <laughs> and I uh, remember the, the makeup club one that was, yeah, like, it was like, it was one of those. It actually may have been that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. I haven't thought about that in years. I was like before MySpace scene kid, ah, makeup club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. And I was like on live journal back then. And all that of course, crap. of course. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so let's see. So I met Tra- or had Travis, all those guys. Yeah, I knew we just started touring. We booked our own tours on this website called byofl.org. I think you probably know that. Yep. You may. Book your own fucking life, yes. Yep. And, uh, you know, we just opened at a lot of shitty, shitty venues and ate shit all the time, ate white bread for days <laughs> on end, you know, like the whole, the whole nine. Um, Funny story, we actually, our first van we ever had was a red conversion van, and we were at the end of our second self-book tour, and it kind of broke, and it was driving really slow, so we were on the highway, like kind of in the breakdown lane, and we were like kicking the doors into the rail on the side of the highway and like setting off fireworks in it and stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) And then we just left it in a parking lot and rode in a U-Haul, like in a flatbed U-Haul all the way home to Florida. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you just left it there and whatever, who knows, who knows what yeah, happened like, to it. Yeah. Who knows? It's, it might still be there. <laughs> so no, that's pretty funny. Well, like I've got so many questions. I mean, you're 18 years old. You guys obviously like, you don't have any support from your parents. How were you able to fund this stuff? Were you guys just working like whatever shitty jobs you could to make this work? Like where were you living exactly? <clears throat> so the entire band, including Travis's then wife, we all lived in a one bedroom apartment. So there oh was like, God like four or five of us slept on the floor, um, like in a row. We looked like little caterpillars or something. It was super funny. Um, yeah. And as far as funding it goes, I mean, dude, honestly, we, we did, we did some things that are illegal here and there. You know I mean? I'm not going to lie about it. There's like, no, I mean, don't, yeah, don't lie about it. I mean, like, like what? Um, well, you know, we used to like kind of like gank clothes from places and malls and stuff like that and sell them on eBay to help pay the rent and things like that. Um, what else did we do? Oh, we definitely like stole food a lot. Like, uh, we used to do this thing where we would go to the grocery store in the middle of the night and they would get a bread delivery at like four in the morning and no one was there because they were waiting for them to come in at like six. So we would just drive our van over there and just 
grab like 10 pallets of like random baked goods and bring them back. <laughs> it was like, we were like gutter punk kids, dude. It was like yeah. messed up, like total DIY, like screw the world. We're on our own kind of vibe. Like it was pretty funny, but you know, it built a lot of character in the long run. Totally. Well, I always got that vibe from you guys too, that you guys were sort of confident and that you'd seen some shit and that really nothing was going to stop you guys. And that you right. had this sort of, like not to say chip on your shoulder because that that sounds negative, but you guys had a certain aura about you that was like, like because when I met you guys, this was like you know well before like heroin came out and and all that hype, which I want to get to, but but you guys seem to have like we're going to be the biggest band in the world. That was your attitude, and it doesn't even yeah. it doesn't it doesn't matter how good we are. It doesn't matter like what label we're on. It doesn't, nothing matters. It's just like, we're going to be the biggest band in the world. Yeah. And it's almost like you just closed your eyes and thought it. And then it became true. Right. That's literally exactly what we did. Like we talked about it all the time. We're like, we're just going to actualize our reality. Yeah. Like we, we put ourselves into like such crazy shit to get to even where we were just to even get signed to epitaph in the first place. Like, we had already been through more shit than I feel like some people go through in a lifetime. And I was like, dude, at this point, we're so far in. We have so much skin in the game. Like, there's no other option. You either just go big or go home, right? I mean, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Well, the, the story goes that 16-year-old Sonny Moore, uh, I guess he's from California, wanted to come and play guitar for you guys. Mm-hmm. And he showed up. And you realized he could sing, and basically you guys switched. Yep, that's, that's the, okay. Well, that, yeah. I just wanted to get that from the horse's mouth. But so you bring this this kid in. I mean, what were you thinking, bringing a sixteen year old kid into the band? I mean, you must have known he was like obviously an amazing talent. Everyone knows him now from Skrillex, but you yeah. know, um, you must have known even at that age that he was something special. Yeah. So like at this point, we were already signed to Epitaph, which I don't know if a lot of people realize or not, but. Uh, we were making Dear Diary and we needed, I was just singing at the point we were trying to find a guitar player and I knew Sonny from MySpace. Um, we were both like people on MySpace that had a lot of friends and stuff. And we would, right. Yeah. And we like hang out and like joke about being gay together and things like that just to get attention, you know, like how people were back then. It was and, a weird, uh, it was a very weird time. Yeah, it definitely was. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, you know, we, we had talked a lot and so one day he called me and he was just so aggressive, like in a positive way and like not a negative way. He called me and he was like, dude, I know you guys are looking for a guitar player. Check this out. And he starts playing one of our songs over the phone, like without me even <laughs> saying a word. And I was like, holy crap, like this kid's like serious about this. And he's like, my dad will fly me out there, literally say the day I'm coming. And I was like, wow, like he has so much enthusiasm. The fact that his parents back him makes me think he might be like one of those kids that's just like insanely talented and has like really badass parents that are really all about it. And sure enough, that was exactly what it was. So he came out. I remember at the time I was sleeping on the floor of the control room in the studio and he walks in the door and he wakes me up and I was like, what's up, man? And he had like this crazy hair back then. I was like, damn, this kid's crazy. This is cool. And like, Within five minutes, he had plugged his guitar into a practice amp, and he was showing me dotted delay guitar riffs. Like, dude, have you ever tried out this delay? I was like, what the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> that's crazy, man. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I've obviously done Sunny a long time too, and that's him, though. 
Oh, totally. He's, like, he's the most excited like little kid ever. That's like, right. you know, even now, I mean, he's like, what, he's like 30 now. It, it, it's just, that's his personality. That's uh-huh. so crazy. I mean, I think, I mean, that must have bre- like breathed a lot of life into you guys. Like, you know, you got this, like, I'm just trying to visualize like where you were at. You know, you're talking about you're sleeping on the floor. And yes, you've got you, you know, Epitaph Records signed you guys and everything, but you you have this kid from California in the band. He's so excited. Like, that must have been pretty rad oh it was yeah i mean you're totally right like it brought a whole new life to the thing it's actually really funny right so at this point the everyone in the band were like yeah like we're down with this kid playing guitar like he seems really talented like i don't see why not you know and like it's cool that he's young and i was like yeah all right so i was working on vocals for this song on the record and i can't remember which one it was but he was like hey man can i help you out with that and i was like sure so like we're singing And we're doing like this back and forth thing, which actually ended up staying on the record. But I was like, oh, yeah, you should do that part. He was like, okay. And then he did it. And we're all like, damn, this kid's voice sounds great. Because like at the time, we were really into like the used and stuff like that. And like he kind of had like like sort of a vibe like Bert, but like a little different. But it had like this grittiness and like this sincerity to it that I just thought sounded really badass. And it kind of just sounded like our band. And we didn't even know it yet. You know what I mean? So... I was like, fuck, dude. So I pulled the guys aside and I was like, look, this sounds insane, but we should just have him sing. And they're like, what do you mean? We don't even know this kid. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. So but- insane. So it was your, <laughs> it was your idea. Yeah, definitely. Because I, I mean, yeah, I was singing and I was just like, dude, I feel like I'm much better singing backup playing lead guitar. I just think it's something I killed at. And they're like, dude, yeah, I mean, oh well, yeah, I don't know. Sure. And we just went with it. And we're like, at that point, we told Epitaph, and they were like, what the fuck? You can't just get a different singer in the middle of your record in the studio, which we didn't even think about at all because we didn't. <laughs> it's we the first like, thing I was just going to ask you. Like, it's the first thing I thought about. It was what the fucking label paying your way is. Yeah. That wow. thought didn't even occur to us because we were just like, this is obviously right. Like, there's just no, no reason to even say no. So we sent the label some stuff after they found out, and they were obviously really freaked out. And then they were like, okay, yeah, you're right. This is great. So we're like, all right. And then, uh, yeah, they just finished it up with Sonny singing. There's actually versions of the song somewhere where I'm singing them, but I don't know where they are anymore. Right. Wow. That's that's crazy. Um, so, like, would you say that, you know, back then you felt just more like a guitar player and you never really felt like a singer? Like, did you just kind of sing because there was no one else around? And then the second there was somebody, it was like, oh, well he's better than me. Like, let's just go that way. And I'm going to stick to what my kind of first love was. Yeah. So I actually always been the singer of all the bands I have been in, but I was always like a guitar player singer, you know? And like in my mind, like when I heard our songs, I imagined a front man. Like I just thought it was imperative to the dynamic of the band live. And I think uh, so too. I think like at that time, especially it mm -hmm. was like, it was every band was a five piece band with like a standalone front man. Yeah. So in my mind, that was like the most important thing. And then when I heard him and his voice and how it sounded in the music, it encapsulated everything that I was honestly looking for. Like in my mind, I was like, yes, this sounds like exactly what I want our band to sound like. Now the picture is perfect. Like we finally got there. Yeah. Okay. So you make the record and it's, you know, relatively successful. Uh, It took you guys a little while to kind of grow. Yeah. Um, and how was that first, you know, whatever it was until you guys put out heroin in a couple of years, I guess. How, how was that time for you guys kind of developing? I know, obviously, ultimately, Sonny left the band because of his voice. 
um, you know, for the most part, I guess. Uh, how was that kind of growing into it? And when did you kind of realize that you guys were really pulling kids and like people really cared about what you were, what you were doing? So our first, I want to say, I think the first thing we did after the record was out is we did warp tour on the smart punk stage, which doesn't exist anymore, no. but we were there. Um, we were on Oh four. Yeah. That's when I met you guys. Right. Exactly. So, um, that was like kind of, that was like one of those things where we knew like, okay, we have to do warped. Like if we're going to break out with this record in this world right now, we have to be in warped and like epitaph couldn't do much for us in that department. But they were selling our first EP on smart punk on their website back then. And they were like pretty cool with us. And they're like, yeah, we'll put you on our stage. So it was a lucky break. Thank God. <clears throat> and we did that and it was like us and under earth on that stage. Are you guys on that stage? Or yeah, a different it was, one? It was yeah. that's right. It was the three of us. I remember the like crowds, the three of our bands were pulling. Yeah. They were, were like insane. Impressive. Like I remember yeah. the specifically the show in Tampa uh, and you know, and you know, you're from out there. So do you know how they do it right along the water? Like uh, St. Mm-hmm. Petersburg, I think it is. Yeah. And, um, and I remember like under oath's crowd. I can't remember what, like our three bands went on like in order and there were so many people over there when Underworld started playing, kids were just falling in the water. Right, yeah. <laughs> it was like insane. And everyone like, that's when everyone took notice because at that time, like the smart punk stage, I don't even know if it was like on the schedule. Right. You know what I mean? It, it wasn't like an yeah. official warp tour stage. It was like, they just put it there and then people would like, Oh, you know, find out bands were playing and it yeah, was like crazy about it. It yeah. was so cool. It was so like, it was such like a fuck you to the man, like the whole vibe of it. Like we're not even really like on the schedule, like the band, like Nick Martin's band undermined it. Yeah. They were the stage. That's every right. Day. I remember like, that too. Yeah. It was just so like DIY and cool. And like, I felt like the vibe of the stage was the vibe of all of our bands and it was really cool. And like the fact that it was so big was, I was one of those things where I was like, man, like that's kind of crazy when you really think about it. So it is crazy too, and especially like with the changing of the music on Warp Tour at the time, because that was when there was still, you know, like like No Effects, I think was on that year, right? And mm-hmm. and there was all those maybe Bad Religion, I, I can't remember which year was which, but you know, it was still like run by the punk bands, yeah. You know, and totally. it wasn't it wasn't for a couple more years until you know uh, whatever you want to call it, post hardcore screamo metal metalcore started like taking over the bulk of what Warp Tour became. So mm-hmm. we kind of came in with these as these like little punk kids. Well, not no, sorry, not punk kids. Um, emo kids, I guess we were <laughs> to be yeah. fucking fair. And and a lot of the, the the older generation and stuff were like fuck this, like fuck these kids. They don't belong here. Right. And I think that 100%. that was a, that was another reason that we had that like it was exciting, you know. Yeah, and it kind of fits right in with the whole narrative of the story I'm telling you. Like, yeah, you know I mean? it's, it's like right. It's funny. So after that, we were like, okay, well, you know, that was like pretty good. Like, I feel like something's happening. And then, you know, we did some tours for a while after that, but like the record wasn't like necessarily doing very well. But I mean, to be fair, we were doing really well online, which is like a whole new world of unexplored territory. Yeah. And we were like a hundred percent gung ho about how how much that mattered. Like, and that's something I'll talk about more later. But we always knew like this is so important. Like, our band was on Friendster, dude. Like, yeah, so were we. We were, yeah, we were always trying to be like a part of that. I mean, it just seemed like the obvious thing. Like, by the way, way by the way, I googled Makeout Club. Mm -hmm. Makeout Club, July twentieth, nineteen ninety nine to December thirty first, two thousand sixteen. 
Thanks Damn. for everything. We'll miss you. Makeout Club was one of the first social network websites ever. To learn more, visit the links below. There you go. So if people want to check out that, check that out, makeoutclub.com. And if you want to go to the Wayback Machine, you can probably <laughs> find some real crazy shit. Yeah, that's so, funny. So there you go, Makeout Club. I Rest can't believe in they peace. lasted until 2016. That's pretty wild. Yeah. yeah. It's only been gone like a year. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> anyway, sorry, oh, yeah. where, where were you? Um, oh, so yeah, we toured for the next year and, uh, you know, we did like some weird shit. Like we did, um, bad religion and rise against cause like no one was, we were still like a black sheep band. Like no one wanted to go on tour with us for some reason, or like maybe our booking agent wasn't finding the people or I don't know what it was, but right. so it was just hard. You know, there wasn't, as you know, there wasn't like a huge plethora of bands to tour with doing that. And at the time, like it was just kind of like still the oddball thing to be doing. And yeah, it's true. So. I don't know. So we did that Bad Religion tour and we did some other stuff. I think we did a tour with like Boys Night Out and Emery and that was pretty cool. Like that made sense. But it didn't really feel like anything necessarily like big or special was happening, but we weren't like upset. It was just like one of those things where it's like, yeah, like, you know, there's kids coming to the shows and they know the words and that's pretty sweet, but it doesn't feel crazy or anything. But then for literally no reason I can even explain whatsoever, we started going from selling like 200 records a week to like 1700 and then it was like 3000 4000 5000 i was like what the hell is going on yeah I, that's what and, i'm trying to i'm trying to figure it out too i was like out of nowhere it just happened yeah like i don't know if it just like if it's one of those things like you know like that like metaphor or when people say like you know the cup spills over like maybe there's finally enough drops in the cup or something but it just started working and we were like, holy crap. So like, you know, we booked this headliner to go into Warped 05 and every show sold out in presale. And we're like, holy shit, this is nuts. What is happening? And then from there, it just kept growing and growing and growing. And, uh, you know, and then we made, then we decided to stop and go make that heroin record. Right. Well, it's, it's crazy. You know, people always talk about Skrillex and they say things like, did you know Sonny Moore was in this underground hardcore punk band called From First to Last? Like, I'm sure you've read that before. Oh, and, yeah. And I'm always like, I always roll my eyes because I'm like, it wasn't really underground. Like, it was, it, it was pretty big. Like, you guys had records charting very high on the billboard and, and sold, yeah. you know, like hundreds of thousands of records. Uh, but, but what, kind of my favorite part about it was what a phenomenon it came it, it sorry was what a phenomenon it became yeah. like like there was this all of a sudden seemingly overnight you had the most hype of maybe any band i've i've seen like even since right it was not <laughs> and like going into that warp tour 06 i remember you guys had you know uh, so much hype! You guys had two buses on Warp Tour. Wes Borland from Limp Bizkit's playing bass. <laughs> yeah. You've got that was the weird. I got want to ask you about that too. And you have just so much hype, um, seemingly for no real reason. Yeah, we and it was it was so so insane to me. Yeah. So I somewhere somewhere between headlining doing Warp Tour 05, which Warp Tour 05 was like immensely successful compared to 04, obviously. Um, but we only did a small part of it. I think we did like less than half. And then we did some more headlining dates. And then we were like, okay, break time. We're going to go make a new record because, you know, it just seemed like the time to do that. And uh, so 
I was this huge fan of like all these things that Ross Robinson had done, like Blood Brothers, Not the Drive In, and Glassjaw, and even Slipknot. And like, yeah, we were just like, dude, we should try and record at this guy. And we were like, there's no way he's going to say yes. Like, there's just literally no way. And then we hit him up and sent him a demo of the latest plague that we had recorded while we were in England. And, uh, and he was like, this is great. Let's do it. And we're just like, what the fuck? So, yeah. And then we, kept writing demos <clears throat> and we spent a few months with him making that record, which is an insane story. You, <laughs> I could even get into that. Honestly, you'd have to do a whole second podcast right. to talk about that. record. <laughs> well, maybe we should sometime. I mean, that would be, it, it's it, that, that record was something. One of the reasons I enjoy doing this podcast so much is that I get to bring brand new music, great music right into your ear holes. And today, I've got something super new and awesome, a brand new band called Best Case. Super, super new. Hailing from Atlanta, Best Case could best be described as blending emo, pop punk, and alternative with a touch of nostalgia, but of course, I'm going to let you decide. Here is a clip from their debut single, Heavy Seas. Could compete with the disease, some moments that you've lost and gained were a bit. There it is. Great stuff. And check out the very emotional video for the song on YouTube as well. The whole album is out July 12th. Make sure you follow the band on whatever streaming service you use as well because you do not want to miss it. It's produced by Zach Odom and Kenneth Mount, Mayday Parade and Cartel. And the band also features drummer Ben Cato, known for his work in his previous band, The Dangerous Summer. We love them around here. So go check out Best Case. It's brand new. You heard it here first. And thank me later. Head over to bestcase.band for links to everything or simply search for Best Case wherever you get your music. Um, so, so how did this West Borland thing come about? So we had parted ways with our bass player, John, previously to going into making that record because we just were having some like extreme vibe differences with him. And, uh, it was just like getting to be kind of like weird and, you know, stuff like that happens sometimes. So we were just like, all right, we should probably just uh, go our separate ways. So we went into the studio without a bass player and Ross was like, you know, you guys can play bass, but I think it'd be cool if you had someone else do it. So I'm going to bring an extra 
thing character to the record. And we're like, yeah, well, who do you think? And he's like, what do you think about West Borland? And I immediately was like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> he's not even a bass player. I know, I know. But I mean, <laughs> honestly, dude, Wes is just an artist. He can do yeah, anything. Sure. That guy is amazing at everything he does. So he he drove up. We were in Weed, California, which is like northern. So it, it's a, probably like a six, seven hour drive from L.A. And wow. Let's see. Ross called Wes and asked me if he wanted to do it. And he's like, hell yeah, I'll do it. And he just drove up that night. Crazy. <laughs> like, right. Wow. That's, yeah. that's amazing. No. And then he, he, I mean, he ended up doing not just the record, but I saw you guys play shows with him and everything. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he didn't have, um, he kind of had his Blacklight Burns band going on, which is like a, a side band that he did for a while, but, uh, it was kind of on hold at the moment. So he was like, you know what? I'm having a great time with you guys. Like, if you're going to go on tour, I'll just come. And we're like, damn, that's sick. Okay. Right. So he just started coming out with us and didn't leave for like two years or something like that. It was quite a while. Yeah, it was. It's, it was very, very crazy. Um, so, you know, when things started to unravel um, or derail, I guess, whatever word you want to use with, with Sonny, you know, I remember very vividly, uh, I think it was Warped Tour 06 when I was standing, our buses were parked together. Mm-hmm. And I remember Kevin Lyman walking over to have a to like a talk with you, and he was like waiting outside the bus, and I saw him standing there, and he looked like kind of pissed off. Yeah. And I remember you guys coming out, and you guys had this conversation like outside in front of everyone, and I was standing right there, being like, I should not be standing here, but I'm, you know, obviously <laughs> I'm going to listen, and, yeah. and and just hearing like like it be this whole thing, like he kind of said. You're like, look, our singer's having vocal problems. We can't go on like early in the morning. Um, like, what can we do? And then I remember him kind of giving you an ultimatum and him telling you you guys were going to go broke because you had two buses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember this whole thing, and it was like very dramatic. Yeah, it was very dramatic. And I feel like that was kind of the beginning of the end for Sonny. I mean, is that accurate? Um, Yeah, I would say so because we had to drop off that warped. So, I mean... He, he had a history of having some vocal issues on tour anyway, which, I mean, you know, it's, I'm not really, it's hard to pinpoint any exact reason why, but I think honestly, at the end of the day, the kid just sings with so much heart live that I think it just kind of took a toll on his vocal cords, yeah. you know? Yeah. Some people, it just, it just does that too. I mean, even myself, I've had that problem before, you know, I'm sure you know, if you go yeah. too hard too many days in a row, it's just, you know, your voice is a muscle. It can only take so much, so. Yeah. You know, we ran into that issue, and honestly, like the the amount of knowledge for people that sing like we do was not nearly as expansive as it is today. Like, I feel like there's a lot of people that you know are very helpful in that field today that make people's voices last a lot longer, and that's a that's a really great thing that I'm happy about. But um, yeah, so that was basically it. So the reason why that happened on Warp Tour is because they were putting us back and forth between. Um, Whatever the secondary stage is yeah, and the main it, stage. Was it called Maurice back then? <clears throat> I think so. Yeah. But it was like we were flip-flopping like just about every day. And yeah. I mean like, you know, we were drawing more than enough people to be on main stage every day, but that doesn't really matter. The, the point was is that we had two different monitor guys and we were wearing in-ears. So like every day when we had to switch stages, we would get back and our mixes would be all screwed up. And for me, I don't really care, but for Sonny it kind of sucked because he couldn't hear himself and like things would be all screwed up and he'd sing too hard and blow his voice out. And so that's kind of how that happened. And right. we were basically just asking if we could just pick one and stick with it, you know, because right. it was becoming an issue, but you know, and things worked out the way they did. And 
I mean, if I could go back, there's probably things I do different, but I was also like, you know, in my early twenties then, and I'm also in my early thirties now. So I mean, Sonny was only 18, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot to put on an 18 year old kid. I mean, it's a lot of pressure to begin with. And, and then, you know, it's really, really hard. Mm-hmm. So I, we were also like re- really driven by emotion back then. And I feel like I'm a lot more practical and I'm able to like problem solve a lot better now. So yeah, it's funny. It's funny to think back on stuff like that, like what you would have done differently and things. Totally. man. <clears throat> so Sonny leaves the band and, and you guys, I mean, you guys end up on Interscope records with you as the lead singer and you put out, you know, that record and, and obviously like it was never this quite the same, um, mm-hmm. despite I think your music getting better. I think it was there was something lost, and I, I don't. I, I've always tried to understand how a band can get so much better, but just I guess it was just losing Sunny. Was it was a vibe that people were used to has changed. I don't really know. Yeah, I, I mean, so like going back to what I was saying earlier, like having the perspective of someone that's so far detached from the situation now. Um, in my personal opinion, I think it's just that Sonny was a large part of the identity of the band and yeah. everything else. Everything else is just like semantics at that point. Like we could have put out like technically the best record on earth, I think. And it wouldn't have mattered because yeah. people were attached to the idea of Sonny being in the band and it gets overlooked. You know, it's like you're already uh, uh, coming at it with like a bias. So it's it's a really hard situation to be in and it's it's funny because I know I'm friends with so many bands now that have gone through the same thing and I, I feel like I'm constantly like giving them advice or you know, for just anything. Like they're coming and being like, Hey man, like when this happened to you? And I'm like, Oh yeah, I know this all right, let's talk about it. Yeah. Um Yeah, I mean it's just hard. I mean, you've been working on this band like since you were a eighteen year old kid, you know, like getting kicked out of your parents' house. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've gone through these steps and you've had all the success. Like you can't just say, okay, let's pack it in. You know, you got to make it work and you did make it work for, for, you know, two more albums. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, Travis left the band and all that, but, um, you know, it's, it's hard to, as just a kid being like, well, what am I going to do now? There's a million things you can do and you did, you know? Um, but when was, when did you decide like, okay, this is, this is going to be it. Let's, let's move on. And then how did this drugs thing come up? Because that was a very unique band. Yeah. So we tore it off self-titled for a while and it's actually kind of ironic because we did, I would, I would argue all of the coolest stuff we ever did as a band with the exception of the fall play tour after Sonny left. Yeah. But we did, we did some insane stuff like during that record cycle because we had Interscope and our manager was this guy, Jordan Scher, and he was like really pushing us and, you know, we played uh, a show uh, for the MTV Europe Spring Break with The Cure, like on TV. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I was like, damn, this is insane. I can't even believe this is happening right now. But uh, yeah, so we did all kinds of crazy stuff. And then, you know, like that record didn't sell as much as they wanted, which I mean, honestly, they wanted it to be like platinum. So I was just like, well, whatever, yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah. But you're talking about the time that that's like, you know, what was that? 2008. That's like when everything started shifting, like records just weren't mm-hmm. selling anymore. And the, the labels were all downsizing. It, it yeah. almost like, like I think it was Anne Berlin. Um, I'm not sure what exactly year, but they had like a number one song on active rock radio and they got dropped. Yeah. Number right. one. 
Yeah, it's like weird, right? It's just a weird time. I think people were like right in that middle of being in complete denial and kind of realizing yeah. that they're all screwed at the same time. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. Yeah. So yeah. So we you know, we moved to Rise. We made Throne of the Walls, which I think is like one of the coolest things we had we've actually done. And then we were on tour with Asking Alexandria because that's when they just started blowing up. Yeah. And they I was friends with those guys because we had been on tour together with like Alisana or something. And they were like, "Hey, come out with us on our first headliner ever." And I was like, "You know what? That's cool. You guys are blowing up." And it was on that tour that I realized I was like, for whatever reason, the trend of this kind of music, like it's not even the same kind of music, but like people that like get these vibes, like people don't want to listen to like, you know, angry or fast or loud or energetic music. Like everyone's moving towards the way heavier, way more groovy breakdown stuff right now. That is just not what we are. It's not what we're ever going to do. And it just doesn't feel like what we're doing is really important to anyone anymore. And that was it. And I was just like, you know what? And I had been talking to Craig because he said he wanted to start this new band. And just out of some random Twitter exchange, he was like, dude, you should. So I was like, guys, I think it's time to take pause or hit pause. And I went to Detroit and hung out with Craig and Nick and Aaron. And that was just kind of history from there. We clicked immediately and it was great. Yeah. And then it just kind of went away. I mean, I remember I was actually at your your video shoot it was like in some weird house in michigan yeah uh, i like came by like i think it was one of the like radio guys that's like at 89x here he's like mm-hmm. hey and i like obviously knew know craig pretty well and he, he just like said hey come by for the drugs drugs video shoot i'm like all right sure whatever i'll swing by so i swung by and it was just like it was like the video was like a house party video but it was actually just people like fucking wasted Oh yeah, it was it like was such a shit show, which I, I felt like was sort of just—I uh, don't know how to how to verb like word word this, but like it was almost like that was a sign of what was going to happen to the band. Yeah, <laughs> is that accurate? Because when I asked Craig, I had Craig on the show, and he kind of just when I said it, he just kind of shrugged and went, "Yeah, I don't know, man. It just it just turned into something, and it was that was it. It was just." It, it it like you know it shine, shined very bright for a second and then it just faded away yeah i mean there, there's like all different kinds of things i could go into there but honestly i just don't even i don't even feel like opening that book up it's just it's like one of those things where it's like i've fully come to terms with everything that happened with that situation and i've made complete peace with it yeah and like there's a lot of like details that talking about i feel like would just rub people the wrong way or like i don't know it for like a re for no apps absolute reason you know what i mean it's just like all with the band the thing is is that like we had a really great time and we made an awesome record the record's really, great the record's yeah. really good yeah and just because of like you know like random details of personalities and things like that it just it ended up being one of the situations where it's like it was better that we stopped because i feel like it was headed in a direction that like probably was unhealthy for everyone involved and you know, it just—it was just one of those decisions. You have to like step back and like look at your life from an objective point of view and be like, "Is this good or is this not good?" Like, and yeah. really like look at the whole big picture, you know. And we decided as a group that it was probably better that we didn't do it anymore. So that was that. And there you go. And that's a chapter, a very short chapter of your life closed, but but one yeah. that, that I had to ask you about regardless. So, yeah. um, all right. So about a year ago. You put out this song, Make War, with Sonny on vocals. Obviously, with the success that he's had 
with Skrillex uh, over, you know, however many years it's been, this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And now I just heard uh, that what it was, whatever it was, just a couple months ago, not even, you guys debut a new song on Emo Night, which I listened to on like the worst sounding live stream ever. <laughs> uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Surrender yeah, is, is the song. What, yeah, why, yeah. If, if there's more music, what's going on? Is this coming out? What's the delay here? Because it's been like a year since you, you, you put this Make War song out. So, I mean, honestly, the best way I could really explain it is that we're all still in the band together. It's just that because, I mean, and I can't even say it's really us. It's like, it's sunny. I mean, dude, the, the guy is just really important. You know what I mean? Like, there's no yeah. getting around it. Like, he's, he's a very... People really need and want him in their lives on a very regular basis. Like he's involved in so many things and it's really awesome, but it makes his time limited, obviously. And, uh, the band for us is like a passion project now, you know? So I think everyone's mindset is when it gets done and it's right, we'll put it out because there's really no like time limit or not relying on it for anything. And we'd rather put out something that is perfect or, you know, at the right time or whatever it may be, then just put out something for the sake of it. So that's kind of like where we're at. Was your, was the reaction to the song what you expected? Cause it was overwhelmingly positive for make war. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, okay. It's so like when I originally wrote the song musically, I sent it to Sonny and it was like, not really quite the same as it is now, but I definitely had that lead in the beginning and it had like that feeling. And I was like, you know, this, this definitely feels right. Like, and then we ended up like kind of working on it over time and everything. But as soon as he put vocals over it, I was like, oh my God, people are going to love this. Like this is, I feel like it was like the song that should have came out after Dear Diary, honestly. Right. Well, <laughs> so, yeah, but, but, but it's also got a modern sound to it too. Oh, like absolutely. The, like that, the lead in the beginning, which was, I kind of wanted to ask you about that because it almost, it sounds very Skrillex a little bit. The way it kind of isn't, you know, just perfectly like there's sort of a slidey, sliding note and stuff. Like it sounds yeah. like that it has that kind of vibe that, you know, Sonny's kind of famous for. So I was, mm-hmm. I was actually wondering if that was you or if that was him that, that came up with that, um, that lead. So, oh, yeah, no, it's me. I like sliding on guitar a lot. It's like constant <laughs> thing I'm always doing. <laughs> and, but, and, and how did you get Travis Barker involved? Oh, yeah. So, like, okay. So when we finished tracking the song, Sonny was like, hey, dude, I want to mix a song, but let's mix it together. So I was like, yeah, dude, let's do it. So I flew out to LA and uh, he was like, you know what we should do? We should like play it for some people, make sure there's nothing we need to change. And I was like, yeah, sure. So we hit up Feldy and he was like, I'm in the studio with Blink right now. Come on up. Let's listen to it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to meet Blink 22 today. Nice. I've been waiting. <laughs> I was like, I've been waiting for this my whole life. So we went up there. <laughs> And like we literally walked in as Mark was tracking vocals. I was like, "Oh God, this is dumb. What am I doing?" Right. <laughs> and, uh, so oh, we that's so in. cool, dude. That's yeah. so cool. And uh, so we played him a song, and Mark was like, "Man, yeah, love that. Uh, love that guitar lead." And I was like, "Yes, thank you." <laughs> I was like geeking out so hard, dude. It was so funny. Um, but Travis is like. Yo, like, you gonna play drums on this? We're like, no, the program. And he's like, bro, I'll do it. And I was like, what? No, you won't. And he's like, oh, I will. So he literally just walked into the room and tracked drums right then and there. Right then um, and there. Like he just yep. listened to the song and and wow, yep. that's mm-hmm. that's so cool. Fuck, I know. And then you just dumped the drums in and mix the song like the next day or whatever. <laughs> like you guys were, yeah, you were there to mix. Yep, literally, that's exactly what happened. 
That is that is such a cool story. Wow, dude. Well, I, mean, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, man. Thanks for doing this. But so, so can you can you spill the beans at all on what's like next for you guys? Are you guys? I mean, I know you've done a, like at least one show with Sunny that I could find. Is there mm-hmm. more? Is there more chance of that happening? Um, I would say the chances are pretty good. Okay, um, that's the most I can really say with that. But I am going to LA tomorrow, and I'll be there all week. So all right, well, yeah. <laughs> He's being cryptic. But I think this means good. There's good news coming for from first to last. Uh, and and yourself, um, and yourself, Matt. Thanks for doing this. Uh, while I have you, what else are you working on now? Um, on yourself, you know, outside of from first to last. Like, obviously, you got the studio work and stuff. Um, or are you just focusing on being a dad? Um. Yeah. I mean, I just like I just finished. Uh, I finished the Ask Alexandria record last year. That took a really long time. And then right after that, I, there's a new Word Alive record coming out this spring that I produced, and that's like really, really awesome. Cool. And we spent, Love those guys. And this, yeah, I did some songs with Attila a couple weeks ago. Oh, really? So, yeah, it was totally ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> really fun. Great. And then, uh, yeah, so I mean, you know, just, I've just been staying busy, like recording, like trying to, like, you know, work with as many artists as I can because that's like where my passion really is right now. And uh, other than that, yeah, I've just been at home. Trying to raise my daughter and be a good father and all that stuff, dude. Sounds awesome. Sounds like like the world is your oyster, Matt. So, dude, thanks for taking the time, and um, I'll let you go, man. All right, dude. Thanks so much. This is great. Yeah, dude. All the best. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Later. So there it is with Matt. I really enjoyed that one. That was just uh, it was a throwback. It was it was talking about things relevant right now. Uh, it was really really cool and. I got to say, man, the end of that conversation, it sounds like stuff is coming out from Sonny and Matt and the boys uh, probably pretty soon. I think things are afoot. So if you haven't checked out Make War, I'm going to play it at the end of this episode because it is a great tune. Um, but there's so much great from first to last stuff and not even just the Sonny Moore era. Uh, the stuff they did you know, after Sonny left was, was pretty awesome too. So thank you so much to Matt and and Matt's manager, Zach, for setting this up. It was really, really a great, a great talk. We will be back next week with another episode. So make sure you're subscribed, hit the subscribe button, whatever you're listening to this on. I know there's a subscribe button somewhere. And if you like the show, feel free to write a review on iTunes, preferably five stars. And one thing you can really do to help the show Tell a friend, tell a loved one. If you have anybody that's into music that wants to know the ins and out of the music industry, um, how it, what it's like to be a lead singer of a band, turn them onto this show. I think word of mouth is really key. Anyways, thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you next week. I'll leave you with the newest, well, not the newest, but the newest properly recorded from first to last song. Here is Make War on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. See you next week. So come
So good. 